Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You learned on the 3% podcast. I'm Dr. Tasani Watson. Hi, I'm Dr. Rochelle Sharkey. Dr. Cortez Lewis. Dr. Adesola for day. And if you liked what you've seen so far, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, share, you know, let us know mm-hmm. what you think. We love to hear from you. Stay tuned yep. for some more. We landed on our newest episode. And so today we're going to be talking about what it's like to be a token. And as you can see, we have lots of fun new guests on this episode today. So we have Dr. Mohammed, Dr. Griffin, and Dr. Hicks. And so they're going to be able to provide a perspective that unfortunately we couldn't provide. As you know, when we went to optometry school, the four of us were in school together, but not only was the four of us, there are about 14 of us in our class who identified as African-American. We also had a lot of other classmates who identified of all other races, not just Caucasian or Asian, but lots of really diverse races. So these students here, well, they're not students anymore, but these doctors will give their perspective on what it was like to be the token in their classes during optometry school. So I'm going to hand it on over to Dr. Mohammed. If you could please introduce yourself, tell the audience a little bit about you, where you went to school, where you practice, what you're currently doing. Hi, so I'm Dr. Mohammed. I graduated from SUNY College of Optometry in 2020. I'm currently working at a private practice in Brooklyn, and I'm actually going to be going back to do residency. That'll start July 1st. Congratulations. And then we're going to Dr. Griffin. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I am Dr. Griffin. I went to NSU OCO in Oklahoma, graduated class of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then I now practice, in, I still practice in Oklahoma at Oklahoma Eye Institute and do ocular disease. Awesome. And then passing on over to Dr. Hicks. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. All right. I'm Dr. Hicks. I, I went to College of Optometry at University of Houston, 2014. I'm currently practicing in Fort Worth. At, uh, one of the hospitals looking at diabetic retinopathy and HIV retinopathy all day. Okay, cool. So when you guys went to school, how many African-Americans were in your classes? Were you the only one, one of a few? Tell us a little bit more about that. I was the only one. Oh, and wow. I, I was the only one in the entire school, faculty, mm-hmm. staff, student body, everything. Wow. Um, yeah. Did you know that you were going to, did you, did you know that going in, like when you went to your interviews, were you aware that there was nobody else? Yeah, like I mean, I lived in Oklahoma prior to, so okay. I knew, I kind of had an idea it would be like that. I mean, I didn't expect it to be that drastic, maybe two others. I didn't think I would be the only one. So, yeah. yeah. When I first started, there was two other Black people, one Britton Adams, class of 2018, and an Idell class of 2019. But once they graduated, then it was just me. So it was an experience. <laughs> and I hear a little accent there. So you, where are you from? I was, I'm from the Caribbean. I was born in St. Kitts. I grew up in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. So right. I went so to undergrad <laughs> in California, USC, and then moved to New York and then Oklahoma. Wow. So how was that transition? Because yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, being from the Caribbean and being stuck into, you know, yeah. the only one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah, in the Caribbean, you know, it's it's the it's opposite from here, where it's like dominantly black. So you never think about being in that position. I mean, for me, going to a PWI for undergrad, it did somewhat prepare me for situations mm-hmm. like that. But you know, obviously, this. Optometry school was a little bit, a lot more drastic than <laughs> any other experience. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
I mean, yeah, there's yeah. no one that you could, you know, to relate to certain situations. I mean, at the time we had, you know, police brutality happening and you can't really turn to your classmates. It's topics that prefer to ignore and not discuss. So you end up just having to reach out to people outside of uptown. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. I'm curious, how did you end up in Oklahoma coming from the Virgin Islands, going to school in California? How did you end up in Oklahoma prior to Palm School? Oh, it's a long story. How much time you have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so when I graduated, I was I actually used to teach high school. So that's another thing that was helpful for me. I was non-traditional. I was older than all my classmates. So I've been, you know, I've had some experience, life experiences. And I think that really helped me cope with being in a situation. I don't think if somebody who was like fresh out of undergrad and maybe always had family, friends and black associates around them. And then suddenly you put them in a situation that like we, our friends, we call it, so Britain and um, Idel, the other two black students who graduated before me, we call it surviving Tahlequah while black. And that's kind of just mm. joke about all the time. But, <laughs> I went back to school and actually my undergrad degree is like in English literature. So I had to do prerequisites and support and moved to New York and I had a family member who was in Oklahoma. So I came to Oklahoma, took some classes, actually started working for an optometrist. And that's kind of what got me into optometry. Okay. And then a new Oklahoma scope was great. So I kind of wanted to stay in Oklahoma for optometry school, you know, since you get everything lasers and so forth. So yeah, that's the short version. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> right. That's nice. fair. All right, Dr. Mohammed, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience? So I was the only um, Black student in my class. However, the class above me had two. And then the two classes above me, there were none. Um, however, for at SUNY, they match you. Like when you come in as a first year, they match you with someone from the second year class. Kind of like, we call it your big and little mm -hmm. kind of system. Mm -hmm. So no my thing. Yeah, so my big was um, African-American. And we're still close friends to this day. Um, but I do think that for me, at least, it was a very interesting experience because when I was going to undergrad, while I didn't go to an HBCU, I definitely had people that looked like me that were bio majors. So we kind of like created a little click. Um, going to SUNY where people had this opinion of, at least for me in my class, I can't speak for other people that graduated from SUNY prior, but from my experience, I found that a lot of my classmates were very ignorant to the black experience in the sense of like, you know, my hair is really curly and like them trying to understand that or like I'm really polite and them trying to understand like why I'm, I'm not this ill-tempered person. So a lot of their microaggressions and biases came out. Um, and I think that was something that I just kind of dealt with or complained to my big about because we have very similar complaints that we would just express to one another. Um, I didn't feel like there was a community that was created where I could be able to express those things in a way that wouldn't then cause some retaliation on me. And that's something that, you know, I've communicated with the younger years who are now at SUNY, just being able to communicate some of the things that we have reservations about without feeling that we're going to be retaliated against from faculty. Um, if we express something that is not, you know, um, the best or in the best light. Did you have any African-American faculty at SUNY or anybody there who's like a mentor on the faculty level? So we did have a faculty member that was in the clinic, but by the time I got to clinic, she had retired. So I didn't have any experience with her, but when she left, there was, there was no one else there that was African-American. They did hire someone that was a Latina, but that again, wasn't like someone that was African-American. Yeah. Okay. 
And then last but not least, Dr. Hicks, can you go over your experience? Yeah, so uh, being at University of Houston, an undergrad, I was there undergrad first, and then, yeah, go Cougs. And then I went to the college. Okay. <laughs> so I actually kind of had, <laughs> I kind of had the luxury of kind of being introduced to the optometry school beforehand. So um, we had this little program called UH Pop. So everybody that matriculated to the program, a lot of them end up going to the College of Optometry. So um, kind of piggybacking off of uh, one right before me, she said that they had the big and little. We had similar programs as kind of like mentees and mentors. I had one that was actually a black person. Um, let me backtrack. I was the only black person in my class, like nobody else. There was three above me. Most of them were, I don't want to say that they, how do I put this? They've been around non-Black people for a while. And so mm -hmm. I came from a certain neighborhood, I'll say that. <laughs> and that being said, I wasn't necessarily acclimated to a lot of this stuff. So the microaggressions, everything else like that, I had to like think twice about. Um, there wasn't any faculty that was Black until I got to my third year. And so they'll say stuff like, oh, you know, all black people have diabetes, all black people got high blood pressure. And they're looking at me like, okay, so do you have this? I'm like, no, no I don't even have family members like that. You know what I mean? So it, it was like little simple stuff like that would get under my skin. And I had to like really think about that. Like, yo, I'm here for the program. Don't let this stuff get to me. But, you know, growing up, whenever you get to like honors classes and things of that nature, there's not that many of them not many black people in the class so I was I kind of had the mindset but once you get to college of optometry and you're doing like all these classes back to back to back and tests and everything else like that and it's just you I I'm glad that I had the mentor he helped me out with certain things and I'm glad I had UH pops because it was certain people I knew before I got into the program that I could lean on because otherwise I don't know what I would have done <laughs> yeah now, was your mentor uh, one of the professors at your school or no, classmate? It was, or? It was, it was a, a student, student. Yeah, a student okay. the year before. So I think the second year, you end up with a mentor. And then once you become the third year, you become a mentor the, the year under you. And it was, it was crazy because they would get us mixed up. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> under me was Dante. That's how crazy it was. All the Black dudes were Dante. <laughs> And it's, it's just wild because my mentee, my mentee wasn't black. Um, I don't know how they ended up setting me and my mentor up as the only black kids, but the one under me wasn't black, but the black kid that was in the class under me, he was always considered Dante. Every time he raised his hand, he was Dante. And it was just mind blowing. Like how y'all, how y'all mix this up like that? Feel that's that only feel. Just go ask Dante. All black and different, look alike. At all. Not. Right. You know, for some of y'all that don't know, uh, me and Rochelle both went to UH. Yeah. And I think, you know, we 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 knew of Dante. Dante at this time. I mean, for me, man, bro, you were you was kind of like a I was trying to be like you, you man. Look, yeah. I was you trying to be right. like Dante. Man, bro, I was like, <laughs> man, I'd do anything to be a Dante position. Cause you know, at that time, dude, UH was impossible to get into, man. Like, impossible. they waitlisted everybody, man. So, I mean, I, I just, it was it was so difficult, man. And, you know, I, I look back at it now and I, I hear what you guys are saying. And, you know, it, it really makes me want to tip my hat off to you because 
the word I have for you guys is like, you showed so much resilience, like being able to go through all that you went through by is pretty much on your own some, you know what I'm saying? Solo dolo, you know what I mean? And that's something right there that a lot of people couldn't really deal with and couldn't handle because when I look back at my experience, when I realized like, yo, I'm glad I chose Nova because at the end of the day, they provided me with some certain level of, a, of diversity that really I needed that, man. I'm not going to lie to you. Mm -hmm. If you look at kind of where we stand today and what we're doing, this is a byproduct of that diversity. You know what I mean? So we, if we didn't have each other to get through the program, man, it would have just made it 10 times more difficult. So when I think about it outside of that, that space, I'm like, wow, kudos to those, you know, to all you guys who had to endure that, um, you know, by yourself without the support within amongst the profession. Because I ain't going to lie to you. I actually feel like even at Nova, I still felt out of place because I come from a place where, yeah. like you said, bro, I come from a different place. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Cortez too. Like we come from a different place where the people that look like us are not doing what we doing. You know what I mean? And I come from an athletic background too. So it, it, it came with, a, with, with its stuff. And I even felt out of place in a diverse setting, which at Nova. So yeah, I struggled with that. I felt like I was really... You know what I'm saying? I was really expanding my horizon when I went to Nova. That's how crazy it is. You know what I'm saying? I felt like I was like, oh, look, I'm diverse. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I couldn't imagine really being out here and really having to do that. You know what I mean? Dolo by myself. Like, I I wouldn't, I don't know if I would have made it, you know? So, t you know, hats off to you guys, man. You guys are remarkable. And uh, to see where you guys are now, too, all doing, I mean, ridiculously amazing things in your respective rights. Man, that's 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 just unbelievable. Yeah, because I'll say it's one thing being a black female in this profession, but y'all being black males in this profession, it's even harder. I can even, I can't even imagine. You know, very say like that's that had to been something. You know, to go through that. So, Dante, have, have you ever have you ever been to academy? Have you been to the academy or anything? Oh no, I haven't been out there yet. Okay. I didn't honestly. I'll put it this way: <laughs> my experience have kind of. I don't want to put a sour taste in my mouth, but I think about like, you know, you have all the different organizations. We pay all this money, and then it's not. They still don't include like the diversity into it, and that's where I, I get yeah. like a little frustrated with, you know, especially being in the program, being the only black person. Like just piggybacking off of what you said, the diversity that y'all had, I didn't have it. You know, my classmates, the only ones I really, you know, was cool with that I studied with and all the other stuff was the ones that I knew before the program because mm -hmm. it was just yeah. so tough. But yeah, um, I haven't been to yeah. that yet. <laughs> Cortez, you remember that? You remember that academy meeting, Cortez? I remember academy. I remember academy. How many, black, how many, how many black guys did you see at the academy? It was we, like three of us. We saw no, keep in mind, it's, hey. it's 5,000 students at this academy now. Right. Or, or no, I think it was 5,000 people there. Yeah. And I think we counted on the three, two, three days we were there, we counted. We saw, I ain't gonna, we saw a lot of black women, but like black men, we were like, yeah, there's one, there's another one, and then there's hey. another one. And it was hey, we was happy to see us too. We was happy. Happy hey, too. <laughs> happy, you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, that's why we work so hard, man, trying to trying to move this this needle forward and trying to, you know, bridge the gap to try to open more doors for these guys to get in here, man, and make the profession seem more palatable and interesting to, to, to black men so they don't just see other methods of 
career and profession as options, but they can see as like, oh, this is also one. Oh, you can do. Oh, oh, you doing this too? Okay, well, since you, I see you doing it, maybe I can do it too. Yeah, and that's important. I know, Dr. Muhammad, I was going to say, that's kind of how I found out about you when you wrote out that letter for the diversity inclusion to ASCO. I was like, that's really dope that she's doing that. You know, that was that was a big move, and you got a lot of people on to that. So, because that was very much needed, especially in, in today's time. So, what got you into wanting to put that out there? So um, definitely, I, I don't, I don't want to say that I was vocal about my experiences when I was at SUNY because I was just always afraid that supervisors, especially in fourth year, like it's very subjective with how they want to rate your performance. And I was just always afraid to say anything regarding like certain doctors that would treat patients a certain way that I felt was very biased depending on their race. So I was very, very quiet to the point that now looking back, I should have been more vocal and shouldn't have been afraid to be able to speak up for myself or even patients that look like me that I felt were not treated fairly. Um, so when, you know, the whole George Floyd thing happened, um, that for me, there's actually some of my classmates that have reached out to me that are clearly not um, African-Americans and they felt passionate about this and they kind of wanted to hear my opinions on it. And then the three of us together collaborated on writing this letter to ASCO. That process in and of itself was very interesting simply because of just talking with people at SUNY and like, I mean, I'm happy now that a lot of different schools have diversity and inclusion directors and they're really kind of on the forefront of trying to make things better. But I also just think it's, you know, it's unfortunate that something had tragic had to happen for there to be change after all these mm -hmm. years. Um, exactly. I do think that in that in, in and of itself, like even as you speak about academy, like when I went to academy, it's just sad. It's sad that there's just not a representation of African-Americans there. Um, and I think that really goes back to the schools. At, for me, at least at SUNY, that's not something that I felt was easily accessible. Even like thinking about becoming a fellow or just being able to be a part of these organizations, it becomes very um, exclusive and it doesn't feel like they're trying to include um, you know, other races. So I'm, I'm hoping that that ASCO letter is not the first, but definitely many to come and continuing to challenge these higher um, organizations to, you know, to create change. That's good. When you were applying to SUNY, did you even think about diversity as a factor in choosing that as a school to go to? I can be honest, like, I just figured that everything in the middle of New York City would be diverse. I'm going to be really that, honest with you. Maybe that was really nice. Like, I just figured, like, you're in the middle of, like, literally you're two blocks from Times Square. Everything, yeah. like, you walk outside New York City, you can see every single race. Like, it's literally the melting pot. I didn't honestly think about that. I didn't, I just assumed that like, no, everyone's going to be wanting to come here. Like they're going to want the best of the best of yeah. everyone. I, I didn't think that, well, when you were applying to SUNY, they had like the supplemental application for OptumCast and it spoke about like, how can you contribute to the diversity of the mm -hmm. culture here? Mm -hmm. Growing up mm -hmm. up until that point, I always thought of diversity as a racial thing. I didn't think of it as, you know, it could be an age thing. It could be a gender thing. It could be like your background. Now going to SUNY, I realize that it's diverse in the sense of the ages of applicants, the ethnicities, the other sorts of things that are non-racial. And I didn't realize that diversity was, you know, at, when I was applying is much more than just a race thing. Because in my mind, it was, if you're diverse, that means that you have Black and white and Hispanics and you have other groups, not just someone that's 40 in your class, someone that's 20 in your class, and that's considered diverse. I just didn't think of it that way. And that's how a lot of schools talk about diversity because they have various ages, various people that changed careers. Mm -hmm. But I just, I think it could be more explicit than just saying it as 
being diverse. Gotcha. No, I appreciate transparency. I definitely would have thought that, not saying that optometry in general is a very diverse profession, but I would have thought that CUNY would have had more than one or two per class. Even Nova, after our class, it's just one or two per class. It's not a lot. Our class is definitely very unique in that sense. So we're, we're lucky for that, but it's definitely not the common thread. So I don't want any future applicants think, I'm going to go to Nova and there's going to be like 20 African-Americans in my class. That, that's yeah, we not... That's yeah. not the case. We just we really lucky. got, we really lucked out with our class. The ones above lucky. us had like, what, like three? And the class below us had like right. three? Like it's not, it's just not right. common. Yeah. yeah. I know we had also briefly talked about like professors and did you guys have any like black professors in your class? Um, if you did or if you didn't, how do you feel that would have shaped your experience or did it shape your experience at least having that to look up to? I, think I definitely think I would have benefited for having uh, an African-American professor or, you know, somebody that's looking after us in general, because I know there was times where, going back to the microaggressions, I, I actually was vocal, so <laughs> you're not going to just run off <laughs> type situation. And, like, I actually got into one of the professors, well, not professors, but he was the, the attending, I'll say that. Because, you know, it was just certain little stuff that he was, I guess, on me about versus everybody else in the group. And it didn't make no sense to me. And it's just like little stuff like that. I feel like if I had that one person in the corner, they would have backed me up a little bit like, hey, you don't have to come at him like that, you know. But it, that's just how the ball bounced. Like, I mean, it was a lot of those instances I can recollect that, you know, if I would have had somebody to even go and get advice for, like, how do I change my how I talk to this doctor, you know, granted, he's a vessel of information. I know I'm supposed to get everything from him, but he's not respecting me right now. And I'm gonna, I'm not a child. You know what I mean? Like something like that, like somebody to talk to. I had people outside the program that helped out a lot in that circumstance, but I feel like if it was somebody within the optometry circle that knows what's going on, that knows you gotta study and do this, 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 and this, and we all stressed out because we got finals and all this other stuff. And this person missed the left and the right eye and all that stuff. Like, how are you going to get upset? It was a bunch of stuff like that. Like, you know, if I would have had a, just one person, it would have been good. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I didn't have any at my school, you know. And I was like Dante. I was guns blazing when I was in school. <laughs> like, first year, I had a professor who posted a document where he compared Black Lives Matter to, like, you either have to be Black Lives Matter or if you are, then you're anti-law enforcement. And no, I, we went to the dean and we had a meeting with him and he retired right after. And then um, I remember my junior year, we had a Bosch and Lam rep come to the school for like a lunch and lunch. And at this point, I'm the only, so this is my fourth year actually. So I'm the only student and he, he makes an obvious racial joke. And you, you know, when stuff like that happened and you're the only black person, you could feel everybody watching you, yes. waiting to see how you will react. And, you know, is this something we could just drop or, oh, if she reacts, no, we have to address it. So I actually wrote a letter to Basha Bomb and I had a few friends write letters as well. And we got him terminated from his job. Wow. So, yeah. Uh -huh. so, yeah, I, I didn't play around. I wasn't about it. Um, I remember my last year as well, this one girl, she wrote um, at was a conference, the one where Student Bowl happens. So we have a group meet for everybody. And... 
she wrote in the group me, hey guys, be careful when you leave, there's a colored girl outside. Wow. Yeah. Well, I went straight to the dean and I was like, you know, this is not acceptable. So yeah. oh, I God. call people out and stuff. That's yeah, that's, that's you one of the ones. See, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I know that University of Houston is like right across the street from one of the the hoods in Houston. Third Ward. Third Ward. And so Ward. that was a running joke. Like, y'all, when y'all go outside, it's dark. You got to run to your car. Y'all in the hood. Like, yo, Third Ward was like 10 blocks in a different right. direction. <laughs> right. Let me just say to that NOSA was actually really good. Um, I actually met Monique at NOSA and actually a lot of friends who I interact with, um, Astony, Takiva, these are all people I met going to NOSA conference. So that was a huge help while in school, going to those conferences and being able to be in a room of, you know, like black people, Latinos, Asians and so forth. So it felt completely different from going to the other conferences. Um, like I said, I attended, what's the one called in the summertime? I don't remember the name, anybody? Optometry's meeting. Optometry's meeting, yes. I had attended that one, I think two years prior. And it was fun, I had a good time. But NOSA was just completely different. It's a complete different type of meeting. So I highly recommend that for any um, minority student who's, you know, just need to find a place where they feel like home. Yeah, I, I definitely piggyback off of that. I definitely think that NOSA for me was just really helpful because the faculty that had grad well, that had retired the year before I had gotten into clinic, she was really she's really involved in NOSA. So when I went to the NOSA conference, I connected with her. And when I was having an issue fourth year with one of my rotations, I called her and she was like, You need to speak up for yourself, you need to advocate for yourself. And she encouraged me to go to faculty and they actually changed my rotation within a day of me being there because it was just a bad rotation site. So I really feel like, you know, had she been there when I was going through clinic, it would have been a completely different experience. So I definitely think having um, fac excuse me, faculty that, you know, look like you makes a huge difference just in your experience. I think I would have had a better time at SUNY, honestly, if, if I would have had that. So. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's someone just tell them. No, I mean, I think, you know, everybody brings up that good point. You know what I mean? I think that's why we got to put the pressure on these schools, put the pressure on ASCO. See, I've been working, I don't know, and I'll ask you if you've seen any change um, in ASCO ever since you wrote, you know, wrote that letter, because uh, they have been doing baby steps, but they have been doing some things in the positive direction. I don't know if you have gotten in contact or they contacted you afterwards, and maybe what the outcome was. Uh, but we got to continue to stay on their necks the same way we got to stay on these schools necks to make sure that they are hiring uh, people that look like us because hearing you guys talk, I mean, it would have made a world of a difference for your for your experience, correct? So that's that's why we got to be on it. But but I'll ask you, uh, Monique, like, do you hear back from ASCO? Have you seen anything that has been like impressing to you from them? Because they they I work closely with them and they ask me, hey, is what we're doing, is it like, are we doing enough, basically? 
So no one's reached out after. It's been more of just things that I've seen that's being posted in terms of like schools creating, you know, diversity and inclusion officers. Um, when we were kind of talking with ASCO, they really emphasized that like they can't force the schools to do anything. They can only kind of encourage them mm. because they're, they're, they're the governing body, but they can't mandate that schools do certain things regarding like their diversity or regarding how they select students. Um, I do mm -hmm. think that the creation of the diversity and inclusion officers is very helpful. I'll be interested to see if that's made a difference in the number of applicants that, you know, from HBCUs or a number of applicants that are African-Americans, you know, applying to optometry. But I haven't heard anything directly from ASCO since the letter. Gotcha. And then last question, do you guys feel like from all the schools you guys, I mean, from your respective schools, do you feel like they have made any efforts in trying to make things better at your school? Or if you look back now, well, you guys just graduated, but if you look back down now, like, have you guys seen any first, second, third, fourth years that are black in the schools yet? Or yeah. like, is it still kind of the same old run of the mill yeah. thing? Um, I mean, probably like just last week, they posted a picture of the class of 2024. I mean, it was the whitest class you could possibly. <laughs> now, I'm not gonna lie to you though. I don't know. I, I kind of feel Oklahoma though. You know what I mean? Like, I get right. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah, it's not, it has not changed at all. And I mean, honestly, even though like diversity is trending right now, it's very it's trending right. up. And I do feel like just across the board, even outside optometry, like people trying to expand a little bit. Uh -oh. I mean, I think the thing would be to keep the momentum going, meaning it can't just be because it's trending now, we see this change right. then, and then once it's possible, we fall back into, you know, just where we started. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think SUNY is making a lot of changes. The class underneath me, I think they have four or five. And then the class that's underneath them, I think they may have close to eight. Uh, granted, they include, um, uh, Latinos and yeah, so they include like Latin community within that number. So I'm not sure how much is specifically African American, but they've definitely, you know, they're really trying to make a you know a bigger change. So I definitely applaud them for trying to, um, you know, make changes. How big are your classes? Like the hundred? Okay. How big was yours, Dr. Griffin? Twenty-eight. Every class is twenty-eight students. Oh, wow. hey, hey, that's that's competitive, right? <laughs> Man. Every, every class only 28. Wow. wow. That's yeah. so small. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We had a little bit over 100. But wow, 28. Yeah. Wow. Could you imagine? That's crazy. That's crazy. That's a class. That's like me. one OTF lab. That's to me. That's crazy. That's a lab. That's a lab. That's a lab. That's a lab. Great. Bro, y'all are like a family. Y'all are a real family. Yeah, exactly. That's that you do feel like a family <laughs> and uh, you know it, there's ups and downs there's definitely ups and downs to that but i mean it is nice you get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with your professors and i mean because we do so much like between the slts and yags and everything you kind of you know you get to see more patients so you don't have to spread it out to like a hundred students so mm. i also think that um because me and sola like it's to the point where we even as black people we know that hey it's only gonna be one or two of us maybe right so we see mm -hmm. each other in the interview 
And we like, we ain't even really talking. Because I'm like, bro, we both got this interview. They're going to pick one of us. And it's, it's just it one. You, it, was, right? it was nice knowing you, you know what I mean? But, you know, they're going to go with your boy, you know what I mean? It was, like, it was to the point where we both actually got accepted, but we wouldn't even contact each other. Because we didn't want to be like, ah. Oh, I got in, but you didn't. So we didn't even talk until we came to, I think it was first day. We both showed up and saw each other. Like, oh man, you got in? Oh, that's what's up, man. Because <laughs> at first we was like, nah, we didn't even know, right? So it's one of those things where inclusion is important. Even when you're in the community practicing, uh, you're a patient that looked like us, right? They're even shocked, like, oh, you the doc and i'm like i'm the only one in the building right <laughs> i gotta be the doc right but it's, it's even it's even hard for our own people to accept it sometimes and when they do it's great they love us like hey i'm gonna tell everybody about you i want to come here they love it but it's about getting over that hump right and we can get over that hump and get into the schools into the faculty then people like us who didn't see themselves as being an optometrist or any other doctor of a profession now they see it a little bit more often so in my practice, I work with a lot of kids. I do screenings at the schools. I go out to these schools and I show my face, right? Because I want kids that's small, that look like me or not. Because, like, hey, you can do this too, right? I'm young. I'm still vibrant. I can still move around. And you can get it early. Right? You don't have to be like life can start as soon as you wanted to get it going, right? Because I had to see somebody that looked like me. That's the only reason I'm optometrist. My roommate said, hey, I'm about to graduate undergrad. He's like, hey, man, you should go check out my optometrist. It was a black doctor, right? I went in, he was very open, welcoming. Let me come by there. I came by there once a week just to say, hey, he'll let me in the back, show me some things. But it was me seeing him, that he looked like me and he was doing this. And he kind of took me on his wing and kind of helped me get in school. But without that, I don't even know where I would be because I was just kind of just going to school, just doing it. But then I had somebody like, dang, I ain't athletic like that, right? I can't say sports. I don't have no vocals. I can't go in the music <laughs> industry. What can I do, right? I can use what I got up here, and I see somebody look like me, I can do that too, right? So I give that same hope to little kids now. Like, hey, you guys are young, but you got to start thinking about the future. Like, what do you want to do with it, right? So I think it's the, uh, the future and the outlook is going to be good for African-Americans and Black people because we're trying to make that push now. So I do expect it to be better for future generations and, and actually, you know, even us, like we can apply for those faculty and staff position that we wanted to, right? Yeah. You go through the right training and the right process, we can be those faces in these different places. Yeah. Let me ask you something real quick. You said <clears throat> you brought up you brought up good points. You know what I mean? And and you know, we're talking about, you know, all this here and all being able to make sure we improve and push this envelope and all these things, right? And all that we can do. You just brought up a point about how like we could apply for the same positions and do these same things. Now, this is another conversation that could be started, but let me ask you something. Who, who in this group would want to be or would be willing to be a faculty on one of these schools, right? I, I'm going to ask y'all, like, would you be willing to be faculty member at your school or at any school of your choice? I would be willing. Would you go into academia? I did my years of teaching before optometry school, so. <laughs> rotation site site preceptor but not working at the school but that like adjunct faculty member so i'll have students come in on their externships and i'll help train through that what about you uh, second pet okay yeah 
Yeah, I think I'd want to just be clinically, like clinical faculty. I would not want to be in the classroom, but definitely in the clinic. Yeah. That's good. Okay. What about you, Rochelle? Yeah, I would be, I could be a site director. That'd be probably all I would want to do. I couldn't be in the professor. Uh -uh. <laughs> what about you, Cortez? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so I always say I don't even like public speaking, right? So <laughs> just, just it, first of all, it, right? But ever since all. I started kind of putting myself out there doing the podcast has helped a lot. We used to do this uh what is it with public speaking class when we had to do it solo. That kind of brought yeah. me out a little bit. This helped out a lot more. And now that I, I work with kids and I go out to school, so I'm the main person that's talking, right? So I'm getting yeah. better and better at talking. If you got a PowerPoint and we got everything laid out, I can do it. Yeah, I can do it. Would I really want to do it? I mean, it's one of those things where, hey, it's, it's part of giving back, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think so. that's the point I'm trying to bring up because I ain't no way I'm going to no class. I'm, hey, hey, look. <laughs> nah. Listen, because, hey, guess what? I, I, I got to get to the money. The guy, I, you know, I got bills to pay. I got things I got to do. I can get to the money. And we already know academia is not going to, you know, they're going to cash out like that. We already know that, right? So that's kind of what brings to that, that that's a new dialogue really is even like if people in our positions and where we come from and where we where we are are we willing to kind of make that sacrifice quote unquote to go back and be those people for the students that may be there that may only have one or two back students and they need somebody to help them through are we willing sometimes are we willing to do that because sometimes that's what it takes because it's like shoot we looking at the next man or the next woman but at the end of the day, why not us? And I think that does bring another conversation into it. But we ain't got to get into that. I just wanted to raise that in there because I thought it was interesting, um, <laughs> you know, talking about that. You know, but I do think that uh, organizations like um, like uh, Black Eye, Black Eye Care Perspective is doing a great job of trying to uh, push the envelope and trying to make sure we hold all the schools accountable. But even though, because there are people who are applying, there are people that who look like this. Yeah. that are applying for those positions and are getting overlooked and, and they're not getting those opportunities. So um, there, you know, people like, like I said, the black eye care perspective, they're, they're, you know, putting their foot on, you know, these schools next and all these corporations and <clears throat> ASCO and all these people to make sure that uh, they're doing what they need to do to meet a promise of like, yo, there's 13% of black people in the United States that that should be represented across, you know, when it comes to the medical field period, especially in optometry, so, you know, we're trying to raise the bar and say, hey, look, we got to do better. So, um, but, uh, you know, that was interesting. Yeah. I think you heard your um, perspective, Dante, on what you think with U of H in the few, like their current classes now, Honestly, as far as diversity. I don't think they got it, but I'm a I'm a few years removed now. I, I was picking up, I was watching them for maybe four or five years, but the past couple of years, I haven't paid attention. It wouldn't surprise me that it's the same. I mean, it was the same for 20, 30 years, but you know, um, last I checked, UH Pops had a lot of diversity. So I will hope that some of them still were able to get into U of H. Yeah. Y'all remember those programs, Texacop and ICU and all that? Do they still have those? I know they, they canceled those for a little while. Little programs to help I like I think they had some, or they're trying to bring some of them back at least, but I know some of them did get cut, but I think they're bringing some back. I'm like, I think PCO had one, cause- um, Yeah, PCO had a summer one. 
Yeah. yeah. Those are beneficial. I just wish they like actually helped with admission because it seemed like, you know, a lot of people would do the program and then mm-hmm. they were still waitlisted when it came to admissions mm-hmm. time. So mm-hmm. what about, because um, we know NOVA has the POP program, right? It helped, it helped a lot of us, right? Mm-hmm. Does any other school have that now? Is any is that implemented anywhere else besides that NOVA? Man. Um, SUNY has a CSTEP program, mm-hmm. um, but that's for any school that's in New York State. And basically it's like a academic enrichment program. So like you come to SUNY for like either the winter session, like in between, you know, that winter break that you get in um, college in January. Mm-hmm. So you come to SUNY and like you get to have like mock classes and you get to go in clinic. And then, you know, if you do want to apply to SUNY Optometry, you know, they kind of favor, you know, there's some that they help you basically. Shout out to Nova. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Nova. I mean, it's an alma mater, but yeah. Hey, guys, anything else to add before we wrap this up? I will say a couple <laughs> words. Just make sure that you always persevere. If you got your mind and goal towards what you want to do, nothing should stop you. Nothing at all. Just, you know, I talk about how I had all these experiences, but, you know, at the end of the day, I knew I wanted to get that degree. I wanted to be a doctor of optometry and you just got to keep your mind focused you know sometimes you're going to have support sometimes you're not you know that's what the whole three percent is all about yeah definitely definitely agree so i'll say not everybody can have experience like we did going to optometry school <laughs> having 10 to 14 students who look like you in your class that doesn't mean that you're not going to persevere these other three doctors here on the podcast they were either the only one in the entire college of optometry the only African-American student, the only one in their class, or one of very few, and they still persevere just fine. So if you show up to optometry school and you're the only person of color in that class, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Like You'll make friends. You'll still persevere. You'll buckle down. You'll study. You'll make it through. Don't make the fact that you are a token be a deterrent and not let you persevere and get through the profession because your goal is to graduate. Your goal is to go there and just see other people who look like you. The profession is still growing. It's still diversifying, just like one of the goals of this podcast is to enrich your guys' knowledge about what it's like to be an African-American optometrist and also just to let you know that you can be an African-American optometrist if that's what you want to be, opening your eyes to the profession, the good and the bad. You want to make sure you have a balanced perspective. So if you like this podcast, like what you listen to so far, please make sure to like, listen, and subscribe. Leave a comment below, tag a friend, tag ASCO. Tag your favorite optometry school. Let us know your comments. Let us know what you think. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for our guests. We appreciate your perspectives. Peace out, y'all. We'll see you in your next episode. Bye. Bye, Bye y'all. Bye. Bye.